Welcome back, everybody, to the Tales Never Fails podcast. The voice you are hearing is Parker Hurley, which means once again we have a solo podcast as uh, my kind of busy schedule has been um, kind of just trying to squeeze these podcasts in when we can. So we're going to roll right along. Um, as always, try and kind of cut the inter- introductions and everything and just get straight into business. Um, good week five. Definitely bounced back in terms of gambling and had some good DFS tips. So hopefully everybody got some of those good tips. And yeah, we'll kind of just break into all the games we were talking about. And we're going to have a Thursday night preview as always on this episode or as we're going to start to do because we did have a Thursday night preview last week and I was talking about, I think we even had a solo podcast and I was talking about how I like the Seattle Seahawks um, in the over and somehow, some way the Seattle Seahawks were able to pull that one out 30 to 29. So they go to four and one and that's a huge division win. The Rams go to three and two and, you know, it did take a last second field goal. And I was really sitting there thinking, um, you know, Greg, the legs from, 44 yards that I pretty much lost this bet. It's going to, it's going to be a tough bet. And the way this game went down was, I think the Rams definitely exceeded my expectations, but Seattle goes up early in this game. I think they were up uh, 14 to six early in the game and they were going to potentially go up 17 to six, but Pete Carroll has a, a fourth and short and decides to kick a long field goal instead of go for it to try and extend the drive. I think if you're Seattle and you have, um, one, Russell Wilson, and two, you're kind of basing your team off of your running game. Probably should have went for it in that situation. Obviously, you know, the missed field goal makes it so much easier. But the fact of the matter was there was about, it was like right before the two-minute warning. So in my opinion, going for it there, you would extend the drive and continue to kill the clock. Whereas kicking the field goal, no matter what, you kick it off to them and you only got three points out of it. Kicking the field goal, if you miss it, then you get ten. You're, it's pushed ten yards back, whereas going for it because they it's from where the uh, kick was missed, or it's about seven yards back. So they lost field position. They didn't kill any clock, and like I said, they would have had to kick it off anyways. So they should have just went for it. And um, the Rams made them pay for it. Jared Goff goes right down the field. It's fourteen to thirteen, and that's what really changed the game. To where in the second half, I think the Rams caught momentum from that point, and they really kind of controlled the game. Um, the complete X factor here was you know Sean McVay outcoached Pete. Carroll and I'm a big Pete Carroll supporter and Pete Carroll has covered uh, the last three games against Sean McVay um, I guess depending on what you got this spread at uh, I, I know we it opened at Pickham and we were taking Pickham but I think the Seahawks um, closes two-point favorites so technically Pete may not have even covered the spread in this game but he did he beat McVay after covering twice last year but failing to beat him thought he got out coached in this game and really just Russell Wilson really kind of just stepped up to the plate and outplayed everybody in this game um, he threw six incompletions, and then he threw four touchdowns. Um, threw one of the better touchdowns you'll see to Tyler Lockett on the sidelines. Um, he was just magic in this game. And the Seahawks, you know, their defense continues to be just a little bit overrated. Um, you know, despite the noise, despite the crowd, despite the fact that Seattle actually, they're not a team that blitzes often. And something that I'm actually going to talk about a little bit is just from what I've been noticing, because it was a huge trend when Seattle really started to come up. They had their cover three defense. And I've talked about how coordinators have gotten jobs all over the place in teams like Jacksonville, teams like the Chargers, um, teams like Atlanta have all adapted the Seattle defensive approach. And um, the fact of the matter is that, you know, all of these defenses are starting to get torn up because they're not multiple enough and they're not mixing up looks enough. Something Seattle did early into this game was actually did mix up their looks and they did attack Jared Goff. And that is when they were um, getting some of the worst of Jared Goff and it continues to be Goff under pressure. You know, Goff, when he's in a clean pocket, he's a really talented quarterback, you know, so that's why it's hard to knock Goff. But when he is under pressure and when Seattle was mixing up looks, they were able to get some good situations. So it was good to see Seattle. Um, change up those looks but at the same time like I kind of said 
Goff got those clean pockets. Seattle's defense doesn't necessarily have the names to get the consistent pressure. They were they were able to consistently move the ball. The Rams were, especially in that second half. So, an interesting game in the fact that you know I was on Seattle, but I'm kind of looking back saying, well, the Rams might have been the better team to fight despite the fact that Seattle was able to pull that one out. And that really was a game where um, the value of Russell Wilson. Is you know he's probably the second best quarterback to Mahomes, or he's you know uh, Tom Brady. That's kind of the top three or four guys right there. So um, that's kind of the value that Russell Wilson has, and that's where he was able to at home pull out a huge win that puts them ahead in the standings. On to the Jets and the Eagles, and one that we talked about in the preview where I was saying maybe the Jets, and especially with Darnold, the Jets. But um, you know, first the news comes out that it's Luke Falk, and I'm definitely not a Luke Falk fan. And then the news comes out that um, Adam Gase spent the whole week game planning with Sam Darnold and Sam Darnold got all of the starter reps, all of the starter practice reps. So Luke Falk, not only, you know, is your third string quarterback, but he essentially hasn't been practicing for the past two weeks. Um, He's kind of just watching everything happen as Sam Darnold prepares to get back into the lineup. And um, (laughs) that tells you the kind of coach that Gase is. And I, everyone rags on Gase, but it's hard for me to rag on him because um, I'm such, I see things, you know, through such a, clear lens and I kind of see things like Gase and I don't know if I would act like Gase as a head coach because he's he he doesn't you know beat around the bush or anything and I mean he knows that if he's playing the Eagles and he's got Luke Falk he doesn't have a shot so he wants when Sam Darnold he thinks Sam Darnold is talented and he wants when Sam Darnold to come back for him to have had all those reps of practice so that he's ready and so that his offense can be ready for Sam Darnold he just doesn't care that he kind of just threw this game um I mean you know they're not making the playoffs and they have a new GM this year and you know their GM is trying to dig themselves out of the hole that they were already in and if they could throw a couple games without Darnold you know I don't actually see it as like everyone's like oh this is such a you know such a terrible you know I'm like I would have probably gave Darnold those reps too so it's really hard for me to talk a lot of crap on him but it obviously made the offense look terrible the Eagles basically spied um Rodney McLeod on Le'Veon Bell and had him, you know, just an extra safety, followed him around, and then you kind of shift your coverages to Le'Veon Bell, considering where the offense is. So um, Le'Veon, you know, danced and danced for his life and uh, got absolutely nowhere because of the Eagles. You know, there was one player that they had to worry about. And, you know, the Eagles secondary and their cornerbacks are still banged up, but I think they kind of just survived one due to the fact that, like I said, I think Gase walked into that game saying, well, without Sam, we don't have a shot anyway, so what's it matter? Um, probably not the best way to do it as a head coach, but like I said, I mean, it's it's kind of the realest way of doing it. Um, Luke Falk was awful, and I mean, he looked like he was unprepared for the game, um, you know, through a pick six. I think he gave the Eagles 14 points um, literally off of his turnovers, so he was awful. The Eagles didn't necessarily do all that much on offense. You know, Wentz was kind of checking the ball down, but um, Jordan Howard, you know, he had 13 carries for 62 yards. Miles Sanders had nine for 15. So Sanders has not necessarily came along. He did add 49 yards as a receiver. So, you know, you add that together and it's kind of what, 13 for uh, thirteen for 65 for Sanders, 13 for 62 from uh, Howard. So, you know, they have a dichotomy to where Sanders can catch passes out of the backfield and he's more functional as a pass catcher. Howard is more of the downhill plotter. So in my opinion, and you know, Howard's going to take the goal line. So Howard's probably more valuable overall in fantasy Um, moving forward, which is definitely, you know, one that I was probably wrong on. I think what I was thinking was that, um, Sanders would have the passing game work and it would be mixed in a little bit for some of those later game situations and everything. Sanders has, um, struggled with his decisiveness and he kind of kicks runs to the outside where 
sometimes they just need Howard to get those couple yards. So I don't think either one's going to be a great play because Sanders isn't going to beat out Howard when the Eagles are trailing or when they're in shootout style games. I think Sanders can have huge games through the air because as this offense, this offense still hasn't, you know, been close to touching what it should be due to a lot of moving parts, um, injuries, everything like that. So kind of a get right game where they didn't set the world on fire, but you can start to see things in motion where, like I kind of said, Sanders is slotting into that receiver role. They're start, they got their two tight ends healthy and rolling um, more and more every single week. Um, they have Howard in that power back role and he is, you know, uh, succeeding so far in that role. And then, you know, Alshon's back in the mix. They're going to get Deshaun back here any week. So it's starting to come along the Eagles defense. Like I said, it's tough to say that, um, they're back because of anything that you saw here, but they were able to get after Falk. Brandon Graham had an awesome game, too. Um, definitely have to mention that, but that's about it for that one. On to the next game, which is the Jaguars and the Panthers. Panthers win this one uh, 34-27. And, yeah, they're 3-0 without Cam Newton. And this goes back to kind of everything that I was saying in their preseason podcast. Really liking their offense, really liking what Christian McCaffrey could do. Um, he obviously he had a, over 170 yards um, on the ground and then added 61 in a touchdown through the air. Um, broke off a huge 80 yard touchdown run. He, you know he does it in big chunks, small chunks, whatever it is. And if you like, I said you could go listen to that preview podcast where I was talking about how there's this whole trend and everyone's saying that running backs don't matter and that some of them aren't more valuable than some players. And I was saying that you know Christian McCaffrey is just purely more valuable than even most receivers, despite, you know, whatever your data wants to tell you, the way that they're going to use him and the way that this North Turner offense is because, you know, you're seeing Kyle Allen's 3-0. and Oh, this offense is better without Cam Newton. Oh, this and this and this. I'm saying that, you know, Cam Newton got this foot injury, but this offense is, um, I give all the credit in the world to North Turner. Um, obviously, Christian McCaffrey is, and like I keep saying, I think he's the best running back in the NFL. And um, you, like I said, with in the Saquon Barkley, you can see in success rates, that he's able to consistently churn out yards where Barkley is, you know, he'll get, he'll break a big one, but every once in a while he has, um, you know, big losses of yards. So um, he's very talented. DJ Moore had a huge game um, where he was able to catch big passes down the field. He's still a really young receiver, but is coming into becoming really an all around receiver um, as he kind of expands his route tree. But so I think he's a great receiver. I think Samuel has a lot of talent. So I think the offense has pieces, but I think the way that Norv utilizes them makes it really easy for Kyle Allen. And I mean, it really is. The book is on Kyle Allen has been written for me that I can just see, you know, he, he isn't getting better in the pocket. Um, he bails out of clean pockets, gets happy feet, dances around the pocket. Um, Norv has made things easy for him where, you know, you lean on Christian McCaffrey, you get the ball out of his hands where whether it be DJ Moore slants, whether it be those quick flats to McCaffrey, whether you work McCaffrey out of the slot, or whether you do just send Samuel on that go and tell Allen, you know, three steps and throw it. They've made it extremely simple for, for Allen, and he's accurate and athletic enough, but he does, you know, every time you're saying, this guy's going to fumble the football again, and he had a couple fumbles in this game. Like I said, he just looks lost, and I think the fact that they're three and two with Kyle Allen tells you a lot more about North Turner and some of these skill players and the defense that um they had a defensive touchdown uh, against Gardner Minshew and really you know got after Minshew a little bit but as I've said about Minshew and it seems like every week um even I'm you know like I keep saying you know I tried to be higher than consensus on Minshew but even I suffered from a lot of the biases of the NFL that had me pushing Minshew down and now even I'm trying to almost overreact to 
you know, push Minshew back up because um, he really is, you know, um, I said on the last one, one of the, you know, 32 best, but now you're starting to say, you know, would you rather have him than um, some of these guys like Mitch Trubisky and Josh Allen who went high in these drafts, but they don't have this, you know, quick accuracy and decision-making abilities that Minshew has. Um, I really like the way Minshew plays, and I, I do think he's potentially a long-term starter in the NFL, I don't think this is kind of just a blip on the radar thing for him. Yeah, he, he's very quick, accurate. And I mean, in this game, I kept thinking, you know, um, as we, we had the uh, Panthers minus three, so we got that cover in this game. But as the game kept going on, um, the Panthers missed a field goal. Like I said, Kyle Allen had some um, real bad decisions, turned the football over, took some bad sacks, and they were just unable to break away from that game from uh, from uh the Jaguars and you know we're up 21 to 7 but you know the Jaguars kept fighting back and kept fighting back and I kept thinking you know Minshew just consistently every time he's going to lead them right down you know right back down the field and Carolina is still a pretty good defense um, metrically and they really do mix up their blitzes and Burns looks like a great addition um, DJ Chark they're able to Bradbury you know got beat by him a few times but they're able to move him around in and out of the slot he really is their number one receiver and with Minshew as the quarterback you know he's starting to become an option and Leonard Fournette has been revitalized um, with Minshew in the offense so the Jaguars are um, it's going to be fascinating to see what they do with Ramsey he's still sitting out and um, they're saying they're not going to trade him but we'll see what they're going to do because all of a sudden you know they're two and three but that division's wide open it's interesting um, I think the fact is that uh, also the Jaguars defense just you know it's not going to be the same this year um, people thought that if you bring in Quincy you know uh, I think it's Quincy Williams it's not going to be a huge loss from Telvin Smith. It's a devastating loss. And Jalen Ramsey being out is devastating. And their safety plays pretty bad. So, yeah, like I keep saying, the Panthers' offense keeps humming along. But I don't think that has much to do with Allen. And then I think Minshew is, um, you know, really good. So we'll see where, you know, how high he can um, set ceilings and everything like that moving forward. On to the Minnesota Vikings and the New York Giants. The Vikings go to 3-2. and two. With the win, Giants down to two and three. I figured the Vikings were going to win this game, but I just wasn't sure if they were going to be able to cover the spread because, as I've talked about, their run-first tendencies, and they did, you know, end up running the ball. I think upwards of thirty times, and Dalvin got his twenty. You know, put up one hundred thirty-two yards, and I think he even got involved in the passing game. Six for eighty-six was a huge, huge fantasy play, as he, you know, you probably should have expected him to be. But um, yeah, the key to this game was that they did come out and throw the ball a little bit more than they have in the past couple of weeks. And Adam Thielen, I mean, you talk about, you know, he comes out in the media, he says, you know, he needs the football and he plays one of, you know, he plays a great game where he, you know, consistently creates separation. He hauls in everything, you know, within the vicinity of him, two touchdowns. I know it's the Giants passing defense, but like we were kind of saying, we're a little bit worried about, you know, you know, how much volume can you get against the Giants passing defense? So unfortunately it wasn't all there for Diggs, who, you know, missed practice, was out of, without, was out of the loop with all those trade rumors. I don't think he's going to get traded, but um, Thielen really stepped up and showed that, you know, hey, this is why I'm saying that we need to pass the ball more because this is the effects that we can get. And you saw that Dalvin Cook was still able to get his. The issue is that the Giants are one of the worst defenses in the NFL, and you kind of just assume that once you get a defense that can defend the run, you know, what's this team going to actually look like? So it's hard to take away much from that. Um, I guess you could say that uh, ODBC Johnson, he's a rookie from, I think, Hawaii or uh, Colorado State. Uh, <laughs> it was a green school from what I remember. But... Um, Nonetheless, he's he's going to be their slot receiver. He's going to be their number three receiver, uh, replacing Chad Beebe, who's banged up. But it's not going to, 
matter much for fantasy. Um, you're still kind of looking for Irv Smith, who doesn't really get in much. But um, Daniil Hunter had two two huge sacks in this game. Their defense is still really good, and like I kind of expected, they're going to mix up a lot of blitzes. Daniel Jones was going to see things he's never seen before. Um, they don't have a running game. Wayne Gallman goes down during the game. So, um, you know, they're really reliant on him just, you know, kind of reading and reacting on the fly. Um, Golden Tate was getting mixed in for the first time, and he was their primary slot receiver. So they moved Shepard out to the outside. So I do think I like Tate over Shepard in fantasy moving forward. But um, And I think that, you know, Jones has some highs where, you know, he hit Darius Slayton on a great touchdown pass. And, you know, he still is mobile. You know, he's able to maneuver the pocket and everything. And he hangs in the pocket. And, um, he's going to have his downs for sure, but he definitely has some ups to where um, – you know, I think he'll bounce back from this game, and as they get Saquon hopefully back, and as they get Tate into the mix, but it's just with all those factors and the fact that Minnesota got an early lead passing the football that it was really hard for Jones to kind of adjust and bounce back in this game. So, not really too much to take away from there, other than you know, kind of like it was somewhat of a game that I expected. And moving on to the Atlanta Falcons, going to one and four against the three and two Houston Texans. And, um, you know, we're going to talk about Jay Gruden, something that we um, called last episode, but I'm surprised that Dan Quinn, as we're talking today, um, Monday afternoon, I'm surprised he still he still has his job. I mean, they're one in four. They're dead in the water. He's calling the plays on defense. And, you know, they just, uh, Mariota had his best game of the season in Atlanta um, and beat them. And coming off of that, they had to take on Deshaun Watson and he puts up 52 points on them. I know that they went from 45 to 52 due to a pick six. But, you know, nonetheless, this this team completely fell apart. Their defense is the hugest issue. It looks it looks completely awful. It's completely out of sync. Um, they're getting torched in every which way, and a lot of it does have to do with the scheme. You know, just calling a lot of terrible plays that Deshaun Watson's just taking advantage of. Will Fuller, if you've been listening to this podcast for about three straight weeks, we've been telling you to put Fuller in your DFS lineups. Um, the first two, it didn't really pay off. And this week... Um, it was like, you know, you get that huge, huge buildup and then you f- finally get the explosion uh, and he he got it all in this week. I was saying, you know, it'd be nice if he kind of got, if you split, if you divided his stats by three um, and he had all, and he had it over these past three weeks, but we'll take it, we'll take it for this week. Um, it was great because it, that did help uh, me and a lot of my DFS lineups. Um, like I said, I had Fuller, Fuller sprinkled in there a ton actually. So that really helped and it offset Larry Fitzgerald as we're going to talk about, which wasn't a great call by me, but Nonetheless, that was, you know, huge by them. And it just shows that, you know, and even uh, he was burning, he burnt Trufant on one, which uh, that one was, uh, they ran cover zero and they had a three-man rush that, you know, uh, Fuller put a double move on Trufant and he's just so fast and they there was no pressure and there's no safeties over the top. So it was extremely easy for Deshaun Watson to hit Will Fuller. But I mean, he had, what, three touchdowns in this game. Um, but like I said, it, whether it was Trufant, whether it was Isaiah Oliver, whether it's any of the safeties that they're struggling to mix in, they just, they're, they're not able to do anything defensively and they're getting torched in the passing game. And like I keep saying, this has to fall back on Dan Quinn at some point. The offense was, I mean, they did put up 32 points, but their offensive line is really bad and they keep trying to come out and establish the run. And I keep telling you that, you know, fantasy guys keep saying, follow the volume, follow Devontae Freeman. And I keep telling you, it's not going to happen. It's just, Freeman's not going to be anything better than what he's been in the past couple, in these first couple weeks. Cause their offensive line 
isn't going to do anything, and their defense is going to put them into situations where Ryan is going to have to throw the ball, you know, upwards of 50 times a lot of these games, and that's basically what you got here. And, I mean, even considering the Texans' defense, um, a little disappointed in um, what the what the tech, or what or Atlanta was able to do. You know, they go into the half up 17-6, to and then Houston starts scoring, you know, and then it's uh, or, uh, 17-16, and then it's 23-17, and then it's 26-17, and then it's 33-17, and you're like, you know, Where's Atlanta? They just kind of let this game completely get away from them in the the third quarter. And that's where, you know, I keep going back to. They just have all these self-inflicted wounds, and their defense is just awful. Um, No idea how Dan Quinn has his job at this point. But Deshaun Watson, another one where um, he was absolutely excellent in this game. I think he had five incompletions and five touchdowns. So, um, like I said, the defensive play game planning was absolutely awful. But um, he really really torched. And I keep saying, you know, um, I, I wasn't even too low on him before the draft, but he does continue to um, exceed even my pre-draft expectations of him. And even this season, um, somewhat has been has been playing pretty well. So definitely impressed with the way that Watson has um, grown into the NFL. But aside from that, you know, the, the Texans were able to get pressure up front. And when they're able to get pressure up front, they help their secondary. But their secondary still, you know, it's getting torched. So on to the next game, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, 31-24 lose to the New Orleans Saints. The Saints... 3 and 0 with Teddy Bridgewater um with you know key victories um going out to Seattle and winning beating an undefeated Dallas team at the time and then a divisional win um in a, in a big game so they get out to 4 and 1 with Drew Brees and um their defense is really playing well at this point and you kind of do think that um you know one of my biggest concerns preseason was as the year goes on will Brees wear down maybe Brees gets his injury out of the way early into the season and it's able to keep him upright for a potential playoff run so you do have to look into the New Orleans Saints but as i keep saying you know they they're really running hot right now um they're able to get a lot of luck against Seattle and um what's their names and even in this game you could argue that there were some questionable play calls or some questionable referee decisions and i mean without even you know complaining about this game too much the refereeing in general this season has just been absolutely awful. I think that there's just there's too many freaking rules anymore, and nobody knows the rules, and everybody's just pretending they know the rules on the fly. And I mean, the replay officiating is just absolutely garbage because I mean, plays are happening on the field that I'm seeing with my own eyes on live TV, and I'm just saying, you know, well, they're gonna have to call this back. And then, you know, they let them run the play out, they go review it, they go to TV timeout, they walk all the way back, they explain it to both coaches, and five minutes go by, and for something that I saw live, it's like, you know, maybe you should just have somebody sitting on the TVs and just, you know, ring it in and say, hey, I just saw this live, I'm 100% positive because I'm not an idiot, and like, here's the game, and here's the actual call. And like, these referees, the other thing is, they all think they're so, they're so entitled to everything. Like, they think they're so great, and they're a part of the show and everything. Like, we're not here to watch you guys like we are not here to care about your great play call your great calls and they're so hesitant to overturn things because they think the play on the uh, field was the perfect play call and you know Jason Garrett we're going to get to uh he throws a, a challenge flag and he gets penalized for it which is just absolutely ridiculous you know that referee just needs to grow up and he needs to be fired literally because he the, it's not about him if you made a bad call that you had to overturn and the coach had to say hey buddy you made a bad call and you're mad about that and now you flag the head coach I'm sorry that's just so ridiculous and it goes back to the Tampa Bay New Orleans game Bruce Arians had two challenges that were quite obvious I mean like it was a fumble on a punt return that the Buccaneers recovered like obviously and they like I said you know you watch it and you're like okay you know they're reviewing it and you're like they're not going to overturn this really and you know Bruce Arians you can lip read him MF and the refs 
And he said, you know, it was one of the worst calls he's ever seen. And he's watched it, you know, three or four times and doubling down the worst call I've ever seen. And then um, later in the game, Michael Thomas pushes off on Vernon Hargraves, um, just, you know, blatantly. Um, and and uh, Bruce Arians challenges for pass interference. And, um, you know, Mike Tomlin said something that, you know, pass interference is a moving target and it's something that they need to do something about that. And Mike Tomlin is in the competition committee. So, you know, when he's saying stuff about it, you know, it's probably going to change again this year. So, you know, you get one year of this garbage crap and we have to change it again because they screwed up the Saints game because Drew Brees underthrew, you know, somebody. <laughs> but nonetheless, in you know, so they don't overturn a blatant pass interference call, despite the fact that they're supposed to overturn blatant pass interference calls, despite the fact that in the Seattle-Pittsburgh game, they did overturn a not-so-blatant pass interference call. You know, so these referees have no idea what they're doing, and they're just going off complete whimsically. So, um... Thomas had a huge reception because of that, but um, and I don't think that had a, you know, I don't think that was the game changer, but it would have, you know, would have set the Bucks up with, in scoring position on a fumble recovery, and it would have turned back a field flipping, like a 50-yard reception for Michael Thomas, so maybe that would have changed the game, but Michael Thomas did absolutely torch the Buccaneers secondary, and I think this was a game that, you know, you kind of look at um, DeAndre Hopkins and saying, you know, well... Through five games, it's quite apparent that Michael Thomas has really taken that torch as the best wide receiver in the NFL. You know, no A.B. Hopkins hasn't necessarily set the world on fire. Um, Michael Thomas is easily the best wide receiver in the NFL. And, you know, something I've talked about with Thomas is that every year he continues to, you know, notch something further where, you know, his first year, he's kind of the secondary splash player and everyone's saying, oh, Brandon Cooks opened up so much for Michael Thomas. Um, in that Saints offense, and he was able to eat off of Brandon Cooks, and then they trade Brandon Cooks, and Michael Thomas in his second year only gets more volume and has better metrics, um, and he's the alpha dog in that offense. And then in the third year, Sean Payton says, oh wow, um, the NFL is letting us just abuse the slot. Let's put Michael Thomas in the slot. And through like eight games, he has like a 95% catch rate, and he's easily you know the best receiver in the NFL because nobody knows how to defend Michael Thomas in the slot. So you know now he's the best slot receiver, the best outside receiver. Um, and this year, you say, oh, well, it's because of Drew Brees. It's because of the offense. And now, you know, and even I was saying last week, I was saying um, he'll have a good game, but he, you know, he's not going to go off. You know, he'll probably just be consistent. Um, and then he has, you know, what, 11 for 180 and two touchdowns. Like I said, maybe he did have pass interference, but that's still, uh, what, 10 for 130 and two touchdowns. So, I mean, and he was just dominant in this game. Just a, like I said, a true alpha. Um, he's just physically destroys people. And then he's a great route runner on top of that. I mean, he has just the surest hands. Um, so he's the best receiver in the NFL. And he really put that on display today and really, you know, helped his buddy Teddy Bridgewater um, win, win a big game for, for them. Like I said, it kind of it kind of put them back. So um, good for Teddy that he was able to push the football down the field because the Buccaneers, they defend the run extremely well, and they've played some of the best running backs in the NFL, and they're a great run defense. But you're starting to learn that that doesn't necessarily matter in today's NFL if you're getting torched in the back end. And if Teddy was able to open it up, and he did, um, the Buccaneers were having big-time issues in the back end. Um, Jordan Whitehead, the safety, um, had I think it was like two miscommunications, mis uh, gave up big plays in the back end. And then uh, Jameis Winston, I just can't figure him out. Um, I've been trying for like five years, um, and I've talked about it, you know, uh, betting on him to win the national championship that first year and kind of riding him from week one throughout the season. Um, maybe I do, you know, and I, I thought he would, you know, was probably worthy of the number one pick. So maybe I am just, you know, harping on these biases, but he 
he gets hot and you know there's every game there's at least five throws that you're like that's it Jameis like just do that and then he throws just a terrible interception where you know there's just a little bit of pressure and he has to move a little bit to his left and then he throws the ball five yards to to the right you know and you're like what are you doing Jameis so um I just can't figure him out I'm probably not going to bet the bucks anymore because um I, every time I every week I'm pretty much wrong on the Buccaneers. You know, I thought the Niners would beat them. I thought the Panthers would beat them, and then I thought they would beat some other teams that um, they ended up losing to. So uh, they just keep zigging when I'm zagging, and I'm zagging when they zig. So I'm kind of off the Buccaneers, but they do have an excellent run defense. And um, Devin White, they're slowly easing him back, but they're getting torched in their secondary, and um, it's going to be interesting to see um, what they're able to do with that. And then Chris Godwin had a huge game in this game, and I, I knew it. And I, we told you guys to um, play him in fantasy. DFS and hopefully that paid off for you because um, we knew he was going to get in the slot on PJ Williams and that was just going to be game over and he scored one of his touchdowns on PJ Williams and Marshawn Lattimore shut down Mike Evans so um, Marshawn wins the first chapter it usually is um, Marshawn wins one and then Mike Evans will bounce back and win the next one so we'll kind of you know bookmark that but yeah Mike Evans got completely shut out and some of that has to do with Jameis a lot of that has to do with Marshawn Lattimore um, has strung together two big games after having a, a slow start to his season so um, that's pretty good to see but that's about all you're going to get from that game and I mean that's it for the Buccaneers offense because they're running backs you know they're still split in time and um, they just can't get OJ Howard involved it's, that's mind-boggling to me but all that means is that Mike Evans and Godwin every week are going to be high volume plays so on to the next game which is the Buffalo Bills beating the Tennessee Titans 14 to 7 a really ugly game but the Bills moved to 4 and 1 the Titans sit at 2 and 3 uh the Bills I mean a, really you know it's simple for them and when you look at the landscape of the playoffs and I keep going back to they haven't beat anybody and as we're going to get into the Titans this was not an impressive win but here they are sitting at 4 and 1 you look at you know the AFC North is a mess um, you know, whether it be Cleveland or Baltimore, it's going to be tough for one of them to sneak into the wild card. The AFC South is a mess with Tennessee sitting at two and three, the Colts at three and two, the Jags at two and three, um, you know, and Houston sitting there at three and two as well. So that's really shaky. I mean, Buffalo sitting there, you know, and I keep saying the Chargers are not as good. Are the Raiders, do we really think they're going to hold up? You know, you start looking around and the Bills sitting at four and one have a huge lead. And um, looking at their schedule could probably coast into the wild card. So this is now a team that, you know, for the rest of the season, you're going to be saying, what can Josh Allen do in a playoff game? And is their defense good enough? I talked about how their defense has been bend but don't break, but hasn't been getting sacks. They were able to get, I think it was like five sacks, four sacks on Mariota today. We're really able to get the pressure, but that has been Mariota's downfall. And, you know, as we're starting to learn, um, you know, like I said, he had his best game against Dan Quinn. That's not going to get Mariota a chance to start next season in the NFL. You know, not only just for Tennessee, I don't know if he'll be a starter in the NFL next season, period, Marcus Mariota. So, you know, that's kind of where you sit on them. And the fact is, though, despite the fact that Mariota was sacked a lot, um, there wasn't much going in terms of their passing offense. They ran the ball decently. They were able to um, control the clock for the most part. And you look at the box score and Ryan Suckup, the kicker, goes 0 for 4. And, you know, you lose by seven points, you leave 12 points on the board in terms of field goals. You know, you can kind of do the math and say that Tennessee probably should have won that game. Not only that, they had two touchdowns called off the board. Um, here's a really frustrating sequence for you. I think Suckup was 0 for 2 at that point, and the score was 7-7. to The Titans have the ball at about the 1 or 2 yard line, and they go for it. And they get, I think it was a false start, so that backs them up. 
Um, when, you know, the score is 7-7, seven to seven, you probably should have just kicked the field goal there, but Vrabel decides to go for it, so that backs them up. Then they go for it again from that point, and they get another penalty, and now all of a sudden it's like a 37-yard field goal, 38-yard field goal, and it actually gets blocked. So, you know, that's the type of situation. Um, and even, actually, on both plays, they scored a touchdown. Derrick Henry ran one in for on the first one, and then the second one, actually, Mariota runs past the line of scrimmage before he threw a touchdown. So you could argue, you know, it was close whether his, his foot was past the line or not, but that's what, you know, so it cost them two touchdowns there. Like I said, in a 7-7 to game, you probably just kicked the field goal in both those spots, but they went for it because their kicker was 0-2, then he gets one blocked, and then down 14-7, to they attempt a field goal from 53 yards and miss it and give the Bills extremely good field position. So just an awful um, – Mike Vrabel, he's he's so hard to you know handicap because his decision-making seems to just be kind of whimsical. You know, it seems like you know one day he's you know going for it, the next day he's a little more conservative, um, and he's just kind of playing it. So it's tough to understand what Vrabel's doing. And, you know, that's where I go back to, okay, the Bills are 4-1, and one, but they should you know should have lost almost handily to the Titans – um, and, you know, they beat the Jets, the Bengals, and the Giants. So we'll see. But like I said, I mean, I'm not denying the fact that they're going to make the playoffs. And they have one of the probably three or three best defenses in the NFL at this point. And for a little fantasy for them, uh, Duke Williams started for the first time. Zay Jones, uh, I talked about it on the last one. He's just so – he was. I never thought he was even that great. So he's he's out. Um, Duke Williams is their number two receiver behind John Brown. Beasley's going to be in the slot. And Dawson Knox is a decent tight end to own, but I think of between Dawson Knox and Gerald Everett of the Rams, I would take Gerald Everett. And then, but Dawson Knox is somebody to keep on your radar because he's going to be the starting tight end for the Bills moving forward. And he's actually a pretty decent pass catcher. I know it didn't show in this game, but as we're starting to sort out uh, their depth chart, it seems like he'll be he'll be someone to keep an eye on moving forward. On to the next one, we have the Cardinals and the Bengals. And yeah, from one slot fest to the other, this one at least had some scoring. And as I talked about with these two teams, it did have some pace and it just, you know, slowly but surely with 27 points in the fourth quarter was able to get over the total. And I was saying, you know, this game, based on the way that these coaches want to play, should go over. But it's just neither of these two are probably ready for the spotlight that they're in. I guess one thing that you could learn is maybe Cliff is a little bit more ready than Zach Taylor. Or, you know, the Bengals are kind of just laying down in the water ready to die um, because they should have the more talented team. But the Cardinals were able to, I mean, they can move the ball from 20 to 20, it seems like. And, you know, the more I keep watching, I think Kyler Murray, he can be an NFL quarterback. And I've always thought, you know, like I keep saying, when I watch him, Haskins, and, and Daniel Jones, I always did think that, you know, he was the one if you have to take a shot on somebody. But I still don't know what his upside is. You know, he does have nice touch and accuracy deep down the field. Um, it's just, you know, I'm wondering if the if the fit with Kingsbury, and I know it's early in Kingsbury's career, and I know the offensive line, but Kingsbury has not made um, many great decisions that I've seen. And, um, you know, his defense, he has no control of his defense, obviously, but, you know, that's not shaping up. And, you know, penalties like crazy, although, like I keep saying, the referees are just awful, but this game was, you know, just a slug. It was so bad to watch because of the penalties, and you know neither team was well disciplined. But um, you know Kingsbury, his crate shocks me the most is how um, unaggressive he is in the red zone, and he's unable to convert scores in the red zone, and he consistently settles for field goals within the five yard line. Um, the Cardinals by far have the most field goals inside the five yard line. And it just seems like for such an aggressive coach who would spread the football out, you think you would be able to score from within a couple yards, and they scored uh, two field goals early into the uh, in the second quarter 
they had two field goals uh, within the two yard line, and you know you're sitting there saying, how can you not score from with you know two yards away? And one of them, he threw a bubble screen. He they had no timeouts with ten seconds left in the half, and they threw a bubble screen to Larry Fitzgerald, so he got tackled, you know, inbounds short of the you know of the goal line, and they have to rush and spike it to kick a field goal. Um, so I mean, that's kind of the the stuff that they're doing, and it, you know, it's it hasn't been great yet, and you know, like I keep saying, his offense. It's, it's a lot of Murray is, you know, running for his life at all times. He has a tendency to leave the pocket that may be slowly starting to, you know, develop into, you know, something because of, um, because of how often he's doing it and because his offensive line is, you know, so poor that it's going to start to become instinct. But um, every once in a while, he does hang in the pocket and he does take shots down the field. And it does look like if you had a system to where he could consistently do this, um, he would probably be a little bit better. So, you know, they have that marriage with him and Cliff and, you know, they're always kind of a package deal. But it seems like um, as Kyler has progressed, maybe Cliff still is, is kind of the same old Cliff and is kind of, you know, I'm, I'm waiting to see because I, I haven't watched too much college football. You know, I've only read so much about him. But um, a lot of the concerns, I think, about Clifford are still there despite the fact that he beat the Bengals, who, like I said, are a lifeless team. And the thing was that the Bengals needed pretty much 14 unanswered points to even tie the game. And, you know, Cliff with his lead, with his pace, with everything, you know, unable to slow things down, unable to, you know, really, you know, they, I think they went three and out twice and the Bengals scored 14 points off of it. And luckily they were able to get down the field. Um, like I said, Kyler was able to make some plays, but um, yeah, it's still, he hasn't managed a game well yet. And he makes, you know, really poor decisions in the red zone. And his teams have been dis- undisciplined. And uh, another one, because I've talked about um, Jay Gruden got fired, which I've called. Dan Quinn is going to get fired any week now. And Steve Kime, the Cardinals GM, will 100% get fired. So that'll happen at some point here. And Andy Dalton will not be on the Bengals next season. That's 100% fact, too. So, um you know, even he was extremely disappointing in this game. You could say that the offensive line is bad. Um, sure, Chandler Jones, um, you know, they have at least some sort of pass rush in Arizona. But the fact of the matter is Arizona's secondary is awful. And you saw that, um, you know, Tyler Boyd just destroyed Buda Baker for one. And, you know, Tyler Boyd had a huge game. And, um, you know, Joe Mixon was ripping off huge runs early into the game and then just kind of slowed down. And, you know, the offense just was completely out of a funk. Um, Auden Tate had a couple drops but ended up, he had a touchdown, so probably worth his price in DFS, but still it wasn't an impressive performance for him. So, um, And I think Stanley Morgan really is going to start coming along as an outside threat here for them. So, I mean, their offense is, is terrible. Even Tyler Eifert dropped a touchdown. So, I mean, that was it turned into a terrible DFS play. So um, bad advice on us. But we're going to keep attacking Cardinals tight ends. But that's where I'm saying that Andy Dalton has shown nothing inspiring. Zach Taylor is going to get a chance to um, – He's you know, they're a tanking team at this point. Um, and they should start selling people. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with AJ Green because you know he was the one saying I'm not necessarily back yet. They already said that he's out for I think next week, um, maybe even the week after that because he hasn't even practiced yet. So um, he's a free agent at the end of this season. So it'll be interesting to see if they're going to try and get something for him or what they're going to try and do. Um, and like I said, Dalton he'll be gone next season. Uh, he definitely won't be on the Bengals. So look look into that. On to the next one, the New England Patriots against Washington. Like I said, Jay Gruden, um, he did get fired before we recorded this, so something that I pretty much saw coming and expected to happen did happen. Um, and like I said, you know, the Patriots, you were going to hear all about their offensive issues, and even in the first half, it became a game because the Patriots are definitely still sorting things out. But this just goes to show you, you know, where Washington is. And um, by the end of that game, they really had given up. They were kind of just moseying around the field, and they really, you know, scored early 
on a kind of reverse type of play to Sims, uh, one of their depth wide receivers, Washington. And then from that point forward, the Patriots just completely shut them down. And they've been the best defense pretty much by a lot so far this season. So it's it's tough to poke holes in what the Patriots did, despite the fact that, like I said, their offense wasn't great. Um, the best sign was that Sonny Michelle really for the first time was able to get on track. And how much of that do you want to put on how bad Washington is versus how much do you want to put into the fact that the Patriots may be sorting some things out as they get new offensive linemen, you know, kind of used to, you know, working with each other. So it could be a little bit of both, but um, it's, it's still so tough to take anything away from them. And I mean, Washington... Um, they're in a terrible spot, and you know, um, like I kept saying, I was almost, um, I kind of liked the way that Jay Gruden went out guns blazing, um, just not really caring and going, you know, with his guys and um, going out the way that he wanted to, and it seemed like he was a player's coach, and I don't think the players are going to respond, you know, well, I don't think this is going to turn the, the, their season around whatsoever. I think Jay Gruden, honestly, was probably more in the right than Washington was, so they're going to remain, you know, an issue as a franchise. Um and, you know, with Callahan, he, he said he wants to run the football more with Adrian Peterson. And uh, he said that Haskins isn't ready yet either, which I found fascinating because I think for the most part, they need to get Haskins in there or ownership is pushing to get Haskins in there. Um, but I also think that shows you where Haskins is in terms of his development. So they're going to ease Haskins along. I think it'd be a good spot against Miami, but it's not going to happen. But like I said, they're they're so um, they're going to compete with um, Miami and Cincinnati here for those are probably the top three picks. On to the Ravens and the Steelers. The Ravens win 26-23. They go to 3-2. and two. The Steelers 1-4. Um, they're in a tough spot. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of blame going on in Pittsburgh. But, you know, something that I've been saying is that, you know, I didn't think they were really going to be a playoff team once Ben went down. And the key to this season, especially once you traded for Minka Fitzpatrick, was we got to see how good this defense is. And, you know, win or loss, it's, it stinks that because you want to win because you don't have a first-round pick. So, you know, helping Miami look better in the trade obviously isn't going to help. But the fact is the defense looks really good at this point. And um, I think they took a huge step forward against, okay, Baltimore, you know, was a great offense against Miami and Arizona. Um, I still, they were still pretty good as an offense against uh, Kansas City. Had some issues against Cleveland, but uh, easily their worst game of the season was when they went into Pittsburgh, who seems to be revitalized on defense. Um, they gave up, you know, early into the game, they gave up a field goal drive. Then Jalen Samuels, you know, we're going to talk about their offense, but he throws an interception that puts the Ravens at the 15-yard line, so they score 10 points right off of that. Um, the Steelers march right down the score, and it's 10-7. to And then the Steelers give up one more touchdown from that point forward. And um, really from there, their defense completely locked everything down, and they did get two field goals, but one was off of the you know, Smith-Schuster fumble. The other was um, really aided by a third down incompletion turned into um, roughing the passer, which, like I keep saying, the officiating has been really inconsistent. Um, so you look at the Steelers' offense, in, or like I said, their defense, and you also look at the fact that since Ben Roethlisberger went down, they're 3-0 and against the spread. You know, so, okay, they're, what, 1-2 and two in uh, actual games, but their defense continues to get better, so it's really kind of, um, it's not in the metrics as much as it probably should be. And when you adjust for the fact that they lost to Russell Wilson, who's, like I said, you know, Russell Wilson and Tom Brady are two of the three best quarterbacks in the NFL with Patrick Mahomes. So you lost to those two, and you probably look bad, but when you start comparing them to what these guys have done to the rest of the NFL, you, you start to put it in perspective that, okay, they were average against those two. And then they traded for Fitzpatrick, 
and they, you know, turned the 49ers over, what, you know, six times. The offense did absolutely nothing. And, you you know, you bend, you bend, you bend, you bend, or, you know, you make so many plays and you give it up. And then they beat down Cincinnati, gave up three points. And then, like I said, completely shut down Lamar in the second half. And really, aside from one drive, um, completely shut them down altogether on offense. You know, they did absolutely nothing aside from one drive. So the Steelers' defense is looking a lot better. Devin Bush started to take the play-calling duties because Mark Barron went down, um, and he turned out an interception. So he had a great game. Um, Fitzpatrick forced an interception guarding Mark Andrews, and they started to move him around. They started to – they would go three linebackers when the Ravens were in heavy – and they would go three safeties when the Ravens were in light, and they would stick Fitzpatrick in the box on Mark Andrews. So they're able to shuffle their defense now and be versatile in their back end. And it's kind of you know everything they've been wanting for. Um, and it's it's kind of uh, it's like unfortunately ironic for Mike Tomlin that he's kind of spent his whole entire career in Pittsburgh, basically kind of living in the shadow of Dick LeBeau or Cowers players, and you know trying to build up a defense that he ha- can put his name on. And he finally has a defense that he can put his name on. And the Steelers' offense is absolutely awful. And his seat's hot. So um, that stinks for him. I, I saw the like Washington rumors. Um, I don't think his seat's that hot. I also saw um, Lombardi was talking about how he thinks that um, if Tomlin were to get fired, he would go to Carolina. I would believe he would go to Carolina before Washington because um, he was saying that the uh, the new owner of Carolina obviously came from Pittsburgh. But I still don't think his seat's that hot. And I don't think... You look at Roethlisberger in the two years on his contract when he comes back. I don't think that um, the Steelers are going to let go of Tomlin and try to do something new. I think that they're saying, you know what, that pick to Miami, that's already gone. Like, we don't care about the record this year. We need to get that defense to be the best in the NFL. Um, I keep saying, you know, uh, against San Francisco, I said, by the end of the year, they need to be top 10. By... um, then they beat, or you know, then they covered against San Francisco. I said it needs to be top five after they beat Cincinnati. Now I think it needs to be a top three defense by the end of the season because it should be on paper. It really has the you know potential to be, and it kind of has lived up to it. It's just the offense for the Steelers has been terrible. Um, you know their offensive line is potentially taking a step back. Um, James Conner hasn't been you know too efficient. The play calling really hasn't been great. You know Ben Roethlisberger. I think a lot of what the Steelers did in terms of their offense was letting Ben do his thing and letting him get to the line of scrimmage before making his decision as to what the play call was. So when you get a guy like Mason Rudolph or you know Devlin Hodges ends up coming in, the offense isn't going to flow as well. And you know what's so unfortunate about the Mason Rudolph hit is that um, easily the best play that he's made in his entire career was, um, you know, he hung in the pocket and made a play and took a shot and, you know, made a huge first down completion and it, you know, ended up wiping him out for the game. I think, you know, we'll see about how long he misses, but um, Hodges stepped in. I don't know much about Devlin Hodges. I watched his preseason games. I know he's better than Joshua Dobbs. That's something that I thought from watching him in the preseason, but I don't think that says much. Um, you know, I know he also was uh, like the three-time offensive player of the year in the, in the uh, Southern Conference and he was like a Heisman of the, you know, whatever the FCS. He was one of the, you know, the offensive uh, Heisman type of awards of the that level. So he was able to sling it against those types of people. Um, and, you know, he looked poised in that situation. And, you know, something I always say is that as a backup quarterback, you have to be ready to step in in the middle of a game cold because that gives you the biggest advantage because um, the defense doesn't get a chance to prepare for you, but you have all week to prepare for them. So he showed that he was prepared for the moment. It's just now teams are going to prepare for him. That's going to be a lot different. And he see, he looks like he's physically limited, um, especially throwing the ball down the field. And he threw a pass that um, – you know, it looked like something that he got away with um, when he was at Samford 
where, you know, he's able to roll one way, throw across his body, you know, 20 yards down the field, and he kind of let one, it kind of hung on him, and Earl Thomas picked it off. It got called back due to a defensive penalty. And the Ravens' defense is just awful, which is why I go back to the Steelers' offense is extremely disappointing um, because they should have scored more with Rudolph in the game, and they honestly should have scored more with Rudolph out of the game. Um, You know, they weren't able to get any any sort of running game going. You know, Smith-Schuster... Well, you know, he's he was the best player on the team on the field, really. So it's tough to say, you know, he, he definitely fumbled to lose the game. And he has, he has two fumbles in his career and, uh, you know, one against the Saints and one against, the you know, on against Baltimore to lose the game. So both extremely costly fumbles. But you look at his stats, um, his average depth of target is higher. His yards per reception is higher. His yards after the catch is pretty much the same. The only thing different between him putting up 1,400 yards right now is volume. So, I mean, that just comes down to where the Steelers offense is so as for the Ravens offense like I said I mean the Steelers kind of whether they spot him with an extra linebacker or an extra safety um, typically kind of Edmonds had him a lot they were able to contain him somewhat on the ground and then they just blitz the hell out of him which forces him to abandon the pocket and then he becomes a runner and like when you have that spy you kind of would rather him become a runner so um, they also um, really with Dupree, he was playing contain, so you you know you kind of push him towards one side of the field. So they, you know, Lamar, it, he needs to start being able to um, you know spread it around with his pass catchers. Um, still, you know, getting you know forced into Andrews a lot. Still looking, you know, Hollywood is you know in and out of the game, and the passing offense kind of comes and goes when Hollywood gets in. And there's so many young parts in this offense that um, they're still you know they're still hitting their bumps in the road. But I think that. Um, they're going to continue to get bad defenses, and Lamar's going to be electric and explode him. I think that said a lot about what the Steelers' defense was able to do in that game. So to the Bears and the Raiders, uh, the Raiders win 24-21. This one definitely surprised me. Both teams moved to 3-2. and two. Um, And yeah, just a game where you know the Bears just seemed like they came out and looked sloppy. We're missing tackles early in the game. The Raiders were able to consistently rely on the running game. And... Um, we're able to get the job done. Josh Jacobs, uh, for the second time in his career, goes over 25 touches, and he puts the ball in twice. Um, turned out to be, you know, a big-time fantasy play, something that we really haven't seen from him. You know, it would be hard to have handicapped the fact that Josh Jacobs was going to have a game like that. So just, you know, a tough game for the Chicago Bears altogether and that they were able, you know, they come out, they dig themselves a 17 nothing hole. The offense looks completely out of a whack without Mitch Trubisky in there. Um, and I talked about how I don't think Daniel is an upgrade. I understand what people were saying that Trubisky shoots himself in the foot sometimes, but Daniel, you know, he's so limited as well that he's not going to, you know, completely bring things back. And yeah, the fact is that, you know, it was 17-7. Derek Carr tosses a ball, like just backwards for some reason. He thought it was a toss. Josh Jacobs thought it was a handoff. So he tosses the ball backwards. The Bears recover it. All of a sudden, it's 17-14. to 14. Um, Things just really start turning the Raiders' way um, or against the Raiders. And it's 21-17. Um, Allen Robinson, has, you know, is having a big game. And then um, the Bears get a roughing the or running into the punter call. It extends a drive that uh, sets up a touchdown. Chase Daniel should have thrown him both, uh, what, three interceptions in this game, but I think he only threw two. So, I mean, he threw two interceptions, took a bunch of sacks. You know, the, Bear, the Bears are in an interesting spot because they don't necessarily have an identity either. Um, Anthony Miller started to come around in terms of his offensive production, but also had a penalty on his own, had a big drop on his own, um, continues to show frustration. So he's not progressing. They really don't have other options on offense, and their offensive line's falling apart. Kyle Long looks like he's completely washed 
five games into this season. So it's going to be tough to see how the Bears recover from this. They need Mitch Trubisky because his athleticism is the only way to help that offensive line. It helps the running game, and he creates shot plays down the field. It's just they need to find a way to contain Trubisky so he doesn't turn the football over because their defense is still going to be really good. Um, They had situations where they lost to Miami with Brock Osweiler last season um, where they just have missed tackles like crazy. And um, it just seemed like that was one of the one of those games for the Bears. So you're probably assuming that they're going to rebound on defense, but their offense is in an interesting spot. And you know Matt Nagy, you know it seems like every week he has a new gimmick to you know get by for the week, but you know he doesn't really have an offensive philosophy instilled yet. So it's going to be interesting to see if he's able to um, get that going. As for the Raiders, uh, I think what was really impressive was they're able to run out of eleven personnel, and that really helps the fact that. Um, Waller, you're able to line him up out out wide, and sometimes you get linebackers on him. But then Foster Moreau is starting to come on as um, he can block and he can line up as a receiver as well. And then all of a sudden you're getting teams in um, heavy packages, but you're throwing the football. So that's helping Derek Carr. And, um, yeah, John Gruden's calling up some good plays, and he was able to go on the road and beat the Colts and then travel to London and beat the Bears. So it was definitely sloppy, but, you know, Nagy, his team fell apart more than Gruden's did, and that's something that I didn't expect. So I have to give um, a hat to, to John Gruden that he was able to get that job done. Then the Broncos and the Chargers. And, yeah, I mean, this game went exactly how I thought, honestly. And like I said, I didn't think – you know, I didn't have it in me to call the upset, but I definitely saw Denver potentially winning this game. Um, they go to 1-4. and four, The Chargers go to 2-3 and three with a 20-13 to 13 game and just an ugly win where, I mean, yeah, like, like I kind of said, Lynn was going to – Keenan Allen got shut down by Chris Harris, which was expected. I mean, not even shut down. He had, what, seven receptions, something like that. No, four for 18. He really did get shut down by Chris Harris. But the the game plan for the Chargers was never to get – was never to involve Keenan Allen in a big way. They were thinking that they could run the football and get out of this game alive, but Melvin Gordon was shaking off the rust, um, was really just completely out of a whack. All of a sudden, Joe Flacco hits a bomb to um, Cortland Sutton, who, like I talked about, had a great game, and Phillip Lindsay had a big game, and I think – you know, he's better than Royce Freeman. And, you know, after one season, you you know, Fre- Lindsey was the hot hand. Freeman got hurt a little bit. And you were questioning, you know, because the coaches are going to do a 50-50 split. It still is a 50-50 split, but they're going to have to consistently get Lindsey. So Lindsey may eventually be a buy in fantasy. It's still tough because this offense is going to be bad. And the fact that they were able to have success like I keep saying, comes back to the fact that the Chargers defense is um, it's just they're missing, you know, they're having miscommunications all over the place. Like I said, they don't show enough versatile looks right now because they were always so versatile when they were able to get like Adrian Phillips and Derwin James and everything like that. And they just don't have that right now. So um, they're searching for depth at cornerback. And um, yeah, it wasn't, you know, the most impressive thing from the Chargers. And on to the last one. The Green Bay Packers beat the Dallas Cowboys 34-24. Green Bay up to 4-1 and one this season. Um, a big-time start for them. Dallas down to 3-2. and two. And it turns out that the loss of Tyron Smith really devastated more than... Um, well, really, you know, what, what I'm starting to realize is I think Dallas's defense is even more overrated than I thought. You know, and I think that they're a little bit overrated. They need to get their defensive line healthy. They need to get Robert Quinn into the mix. They need to get their safeties healthy. But... Um, Right now, it just seems like they're just a little bit overrated on defense. Van Der Esch didn't have a great game in this game, and he usually plays well. But um, that's really what got Aaron Jones on the loose, was that Van Der Esch just couldn't corral Aaron Jones. So, um, But their defense isn't getting enough pressure, and it bought Rodgers enough time where he had a couple really nice you know, vintage Rodgers throws. 
But, um, you know, he's still in his game manager mode, and they're still in, you know, 14 points in the fourth quarter. But um, as the game went on, they were able to get points in the third quarter, which, um, like I keep saying, they haven't been able to do. But um, that goes back to unable to corral Aaron Jones. And also, the defense of the Packers, and, you know, they're inviting teams to run on them, but they're saying if we get off to leads then they're not going to be able to run on us because they're going to be thrown to come back. And we have a really great pass rush. We mix up blitzes. We confuse people. And then on the back end, we have, you know, enough playmakers that we're able to, you know, create turnovers and everything like that. I mean, the first turnover of Dak, you know, all of the, the Dak interceptions, you know, it's tough to put on Dak where Cooper um, easily drops one. And I mean, Cooper obviously made up for it in the fact that he really torched Jair Alexander. And, you know, Alexander's definitely an up and coming cornerback. Um, but Cooper definitely got the better of him in this matchup. But nonetheless, you know, Dak throws one off of his hands. Um, he throws one where Michael Gallup, um, you know, could have went over the middle and kind of extended his arms, but kind of uh, short-armed it, and it gets picked off. And then I, th- I forget what the other one was. But nonetheless, it's tough to put a lot onto Dak in terms of his, his interceptions, but they didn't get off to a hot start. And the Packers' pass defense, you know, with that lead, was able to kind of just build on that, um, you know, thanks to some turnovers. And, yeah, I mean, Dallas just kind of f- fell apart in that spot. It, it'll be interesting to see because hopefully Tyron Smith can come back and Leo Collins, the right tackle, left in the middle of that game. So the pressure really started to ramp up on Prescott. But, it, you know, if they are able to get Tyron Smith back, I still have faith in their offense. But, um, yeah, t- tough, tough two performances nonetheless from them. And the Packers, um, they also made Dexter Williams inactive, which I've talked about. His issue has always been maturity, and they just don't feel that they trust him You know, running the football in an NFL game. They signed Trey Carson, who they cut from the practice squad because Williams has more upside, but they got they you know signed the guy that they trust and put him in. But nonetheless, that equaled more Aaron Jones, and you started to see what happens when Aaron Jones is able to you know carry the ball um, and it still was like a, you know, almost a 60-40 timeshare. It wasn't, you know, it's it's been about 50-50 the last couple of weeks, so it did lean more towards Jones. But in those high leverage situations, they went towards Jones. So it'll be interesting to see that if Williams is able to gain um, confidence in the coaching staff or if Carson cuts into those um, plays as Jamal Williams has his concussion issues, we'll see if he's able to come back as well. Lastly, we have the Colts and the Chiefs and a really impressive performance by the Colts in how they were able to control the clock but stay aggressive in their play calling. Um, I think they caught a break in that Patrick Mahomes. It looked like he twisted his ankle. So it'll be really interesting to see how he you know, plays moving forward on that ankle because he had ups and downs on that ankle, honestly. You know, there were times where he was able to um, maneuver the pocket, and there were times where he was able to um, even gain yards on the ground. But there were also times where it looked like he was um, standing a little too firm in the pocket and was missing passes that he would typically hit. So... That's going to be interesting. That was, you know, really the key takeaway because um, the Colts were really able to, you know, grind this game out with the fact that, you know, every once in a while when they got those Mahomes, um, you know, situations where he wasn't scoring, they were able to put long drives together, um, really etching things out on the ground, really working their offensive line against that worst run defense. And it's not often where teams are able to go into Arrowhead and actually get a lead on the Chiefs. You know, it's usually within five plays of the game, you're down 7 nothing to the Chiefs. So, honestly, one of the more surprising outcomes of the, of the season, really. Um, because, yeah, you see Mahomes, like I said, you can blame the ankle, whatever. He stayed in the game. But um, the Chiefs, who are going head-to-head with the Patriots, you know, I keep saying those two are kind of eking it out in the AFC. Um, 
Patriots all of a sudden ahead in terms of home field advantage. It's going to be a lot tougher for Kansas City to beat New England in New England than for them to come here. So now all of a sudden the Chiefs have some really important games and all these games are high leverage. So huge win for the Colts to bounce back from a situation where they could have fell to two and three, but even a more devastating loss for the Kansas City Chiefs in that situation. And lastly, Thursday night football. This is probably going to be a short preview for us um, as we kind of get close to an hour here, but also as uh, you know, the New England Patriots take it on the New York Giants. Uh, I think the Patriots are sitting at about 17-point favorites right now. As I look at it, they're at home, and the total is 42, and that tells you all you need to know. Um, they're kind of looking at what, like a 31-14 a to 14 type of game or a 28-10 to 10 type of game um, in favor of the Patriots. So, that is kind of what you have to look for, and um, like I talked about, the Patriots maybe started to get a running game going against Washington, who may be a wounded run defense. I think they try and get the passing game going against a very, um, you know, brutal passing offensive attack for the Giants. And you know, something they need to figure out as the trade deadline nears is should they trade for another receiver, or you know, is Edelman, who's been dealing with that rib injury, I know he had a bounce back spot uh, just this week with a, with a touchdown and a hundred yards. And can, you know, Josh Gordon, you know, it seems like he comes and goes or he flows in and out of the offense. And Dorsett is kind of hit or miss. And, you know, Brady's obviously 42. You know, that's where I keep going back to. Um, when I talk about Mahomes and Wilson and their upside in magic, you know, I always have to kind of remind myself that Brady's still in that mix because he's kind of just trotting along and, you know, he's game managing, but he's also, he can rip teams apart at the same time. So he gets this New York passing attack. And like I said, he's been struggling recently. And he kind of started to get life against Washington. And I think that they go um, all out aerial. They spread uh, the Giants thin in terms of their secondary and they attack them through the air. And then probably, you know, try and run the football to close out the game. So I could see them having a great game. I think Daniel Jones, um, you know, I talked about him against Minnesota. I think the Patriots will take that and, you know, take it a step further. I've talked about how they mix up blitzes, they mix up rushes, they mix up their secondary coverages, um, they communicate extremely well. Um, in the back end, they just have a really just sound back end. I think they're one of the best defenses in the NFL. I think Daniel Jones, due to the fact that um, he's he's so mob he is mobile and he's able to um, you know make plays out of structure to where that usually is how you have to beat Bill Belichick. So I think he may be able to move the football, but you know they give up they average le less than one touchdown a game. The Patriots do so. You know I do think the Giants will score about ten to thirteen points. And the Patriots should get an early lead on them. They should mix up blitzes on Jones. Jones will probably throw a couple picks, take a couple big sacks, you know, and it's it's a twenty-one to three type of game at the half, and then the Patriots kind of salted away, you know, thirty-one to thirteen. So um, I would have a hard time. I would just, I couldn't take the Giants to be completely honest on a short week. Um, I see that, you know, I think uh, Sterling Shepard is banged up, Evan Ingram's banged up on a short week. I doubt Saquon comes back on this short week, despite the fact that Wayne Gallman's not in there. So it'd be, you know, John Hillman. Um, a rookie from, I forget what school, a really small school, but I wouldn't pick him up. I mean, I would pick him up in fantasy, honestly, because uh, Goldman's going to be out for a while, and that is Saquon's backup, despite the fact that I think Saquon will probably, now that he gets 10 days off of this Thursday night football, will probably honestly be back after this game. So that's good for them. But, I mean, if Ingram doesn't play all of a sudden, you know, the Patriots are really... Um, they're going to, you know, pin their ear, ears back on Daniel Jones. They're going to contain him in the pocket and it would be tough for them to score. So I would honestly think over more than uh, even 
even taking the Patriots in this game because, like I said, I think the Patriots will be able to spread the football out, get their offense back on track, and maybe Jones will be able to put in some garbage time. But, you know, it's, it'll be close to that 42-point total. Maybe it'll go over, you know, in like a 27-17 type of game, um, you know, 34-17, something like that. So lean to the over, lean to the Patriots, but I don't have a firm play on either one yet, especially with such a high spread and such an ugly game at this point.